Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Shami Ali Naim, a Hyderabadi Muslim-American poet, musician, interdisciplinary artist, and recovering social justice lawyer. Shami Ali's new album, Motika Shaher, is out now. It's a second record following City of Pearls. And it takes poetry from Shami Ali's book, City of Pearls, and puts it to music that she composed herself. This is the first time that we've heard Shami Ali's music on one of her records. We get into that in the intro discussion as to why, why now. But it's wonderful. I mean, the music and the poetry come together to generate what feels to me like a real weight and severity. These poems and these songs are very concise. They're often over very quickly with very few poetic words. Yet there's a density there, a desire to kind of endure, to withstand and resist erosion and oppression and make these poems persist amidst forces that might otherwise try and extinguish them. I mean, Shami Ali herself actually says on the record Bandcamp that this is a hologram love note filled with stories of diasporic Muslim Indian existence, ancestral transmissions, transnational solidarities, and space to breathe and imagine. So amidst all that flux, these poems feel like something really solid. I love this record. Please do go check it out. Links will be in the show notes, as they always are. And if you want to support Crucial Listening, you can do over at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. You can donate once or monthly, any amount you choose to help keep the podcast ticking by. And thank you for your support as always. This episode was great. Shami Ali is fabulous. Such good company. Picked three very interesting records. Love getting into them. I hope you will too. Oh, one more thing. Shami Ali asked me to call out Kohino Orgasm, a musician based in LA who encouraged her to get the Roland JDXI. So clearly a pivotal point for Shami Ali. Here's me doing that. And yeah, enjoy this conversation. It's a really good one. Shami Ali on Crucial Listening. To longitude and latitude. Planetary alignment. When the Earth on its axis tipped as the sun set orange on rocky Hyderabadi soil. Shami Ali, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So good to have you on the podcast. So you're here to talk about three important albums. Uh, before we get round to that, I want to talk about your new record, Motika Shaher, which follows on from your album and poetry collection, in fact, City of Pearls, back in 2019. So this is the first time you've released 
music that you've composed and produced yourself i know you've been a musician for a long time but i guess this marks the first point at which you're melding your poetry and music that you've actually made as well so i'm curious i've heard you kind of touch on this in other conversations but do you have any thoughts on why now is the point at which you've reached that point where you're releasing this music that you've been making for a while Oh, wow. That's a nice question. Um, Well, I think the pandemic played a really big part of that. But there were some moments before the pandemic started that I was feeling called. I started interpreting my poems along with music in 2018. Uh, when I had the opportunity to collaborate with a composer and musician named Kais Essar, um, who joins me on the 2019 City of Pearls album. Um, he's playing the Rabab on that. And I started engaging with interpreting these poems from a musical place starting that year. But I didn't make room where I would be composing that music at that time. Um, As I started working with other musicians, I remember working with one in LA in, I believe it was the summer of 2019. We were both in a show together. She was collaborating with me. We were rehearsing. And I think I was just giving her some feedback. And she asked me, why don't you compose some of these things sometimes, you know, um, not, not in that particular show, but just generally she was just asking and I hadn't even asked that of myself. Hmm. Um, and she was quite encouraging and that sort of was the beginning of my journey to, to, to try, um, where I'm sharing that with the world rather than just kind of working with music on my own in a personal way. Um, so I got a synth that summer. I I think it was like a Roland JDXI (laughs) (laughs) and in true Gen X form, I think I like plugged it into like a guitar amp (laughs) (laughs) Ah, and just spent hours of just having the time of my life and sort of working with my poems with the synth. And then around that time, I believe the pandemic started and I had more time, I guess, to really sit with this and make more room, take this more seriously for myself. And coming from um, a culture where poetry and music are so linked, it felt like another take on that for myself. Mm. Um, And I was just artistically enjoying it. And it was just something that offered me a lot of comfort during that time that there's so many uncertainties. We're still in the pandemic, but, um, you know, in, in that moment it had just begun. So there were a lot of things to think about. And um, it offered me comfort around a lot of anxieties and uncertainties. Um, it was just a space um, I liked being in. And it was something I wanted to share. So this this particular album though some of the poems predate these past few years um in terms of the musical composition and production 
that happened between 2019 and now. I think, I don't think this would have happened if the pandemic didn't happen. Wow. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I definitely had more time where I could um, experiment more and take more risk. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also practice, practice things where um, I lacked confidence. So, for example, though from a young age, I have I had piano instruction since I was like seven or like I, I my first instrument was the flute and I taught myself guitar and things like that. I didn't sing publicly other than like at home or or at the mosque or something. So, you know, during this pandemic time, I had also taken some time to do classical South Indian instruction or um just general vocal instruction, which I took the time and had the space to do. I guess what's interesting as well, and I've heard you mention a bit about this, that the music is, this isn't a direct quote, so I may fudge it, but the music is basically like a counterpart to these poems, almost like another means of transmitting that information. I wondered how easy did the music come when you were entwining it with the poetry in this way like was it easy for you to immediately spot like a musical analog to the poems that you chosen for this album or yeah how quickly did each poem kind of announce the atmosphere that you wanted to generate in sound oh it was so um i don't know if i uh, there was flow i don't know huh. it may be easy but it was fun it was I guess you could say it was easy. It just felt like, right, there was alignment, there was synchronicity. It felt really enjoyable as an artist. Um, it felt like, you know, if you, if I learn, you know, if I was just speaking in a, another very familiar language mm. and mixing my languages together, though, I probably would say I have the heart of a poet. Um, it was just like, almost like finding another language um, and a home for these, for the emotion of it, the feeling, um, or or even just the place. It just felt like an expansion, and it did feel mm. easy. I guess you could say. Um, I just was having a lot of fun. It it just seemed like this this other place where it's like almost opening another door and understanding the piece even more deeply. You know, uh, finding spaciousness hmm. in in places that felt closed like for example i will say like when i write a poem it can be really hard <laughs> right and um and by that i mean like even emotionally hard hmm. and with this it didn't feel emotionally hard at all it felt real ease spaciousness peace openness you know, the only places there were discomforts were just the places of of risk where I hadn't done it before. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, in terms of the actual creation process, oh my God, it was the time of my life. <laughs> I was just spending, I, was, I was having a great time. <laughs> That's so good. And has the whole process led to you to relate to the poems themselves differently now that you've gone through this process of sonifying them through through music absolutely um 
one, it's deepened my connection to my own cultural traditions where poetry and music have dwelled for so many centuries even. But, you know, what? when in any creation process, whether it's poetry or creating music, you open up a space to become a conduit. And I think music has helped to deepen that practice, mm. um, that surrender, the trust and the reverence um, mm. to whatever I'm trying to do with the piece. Um, I think poetry can do that on its own too. I don't think poetry needs music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something beautiful happens when they dwell together. And I feel like what I was trying to do with this particular album was actually interpret these things from more of the musical place rather than with City of Pearls, you know, the poems were the center of that. Yeah. Here, I, I'm okay if even you don't hear the words, it's still, that's still happening musically mm. for me. And I, and I, and in this one, I sing and there's like a, a mixing up of the narr- sort of narration and singing and this, this uh, world that's created musically for each piece. And then the ways in which, um, because really it's like a full story. The whole album is like a full piece. So if you listen to it all together, I enjoyed that part too, hmm. where you're just like creating this, just this whole world for a moment. And um, each of the stories are told. Um, that's another like important thing for both, for music and poetry. It's, it's storytelling to me, to me. Um, my relationship to music is it's telling a story just in a different language artistically. So also as well, I want to ask you about the general intention behind this collection. Am I right in saying actually this is the poems in question are taken also from City of Pearls? Yes. So for Moti Kishaher, the um, poems are from my debut book uh, titled City of Pearls that came out in the spring of 2019. And my intention was to sort of do these musical interpretations of select poems from the book. Um, Motika Sheher means City of Pearls in Urdu, and it is a nickname for the city that I was born, my ancestral city, uh, Hyderabad, uh, which is located on the Dakkan Plateau of South India. And, you know, just connecting to some of your questions around why music now what you know and what is what was the experience like for me in terms of um, engaging with music and interpreting the poems in that space um it was really powerful to sort of think about things that we have relationship to that no one can take away hmm. and in a lot of ways this album is sort of like a love note that's filled with stories that reminds anyone that has been displaced from their land that 
misses their land, that misses um, a place that they have deep ancestral connection to. Um, it's this album is sort of a love note to uh, those folks to remind us of our resilience and our connection, our very intimate connection to our land, um, to our histories, um, to our ancestral connections and those invisible spaces that we can deeply feel that are very much a part of us, even though we might not be living in that place or might not have access to even visit that place. Um, you know, I found that music is such a powerful space to engage with some of those questions hmm. um, and those feelings and those things that um, are very much alive in us um, that we might not have words for, but deep feelings within us. And so that was a really incredible experience to engage with in this particular album to take these poems that existed maybe some of them i've written like 15 years ago and sit with them and then try to express it from a musical place um without words hmm. and uh so yeah i hope i hope that helps a little um you know, one of the questions in this album is to ask listeners, you know, how, how do you continue to live fully and exist in a world where you're told you don't belong, you know, and, you know, how do you continue to live, like really live when you've experienced immeasurable loss and it's holding that loss with the power um, that we all hold within us, um, of life, of these things that connect us to life, um, that can't really be taken from us. I want to ask one question in relation to that, actually, in terms of how you seem to go about structuring your poems, which is brevity, which I think comes through so clearly in a musical context. You take a track like Before Bombing, which is, what, like a minute long? Mm -hmm. and feels so incredibly severe in the space of that short breadth of time i think in the context of the poem itself as well that feels very uh feels very exact right so yeah i wondered if you could tell me where brevity fits into the picture of yeah the poems and the um the meaning within the poems like why why is tracks that like a minute or two minutes long why is that compelling for you thank you um yeah it is definitely important to me i spent a lot of time with that and it was also interesting to explore that musically as as well i like an economy of words i'm someone that pays deep attention to my dreams um, and i've done that since i was a teenager um, and kept a dream journal and um, so I remember my dreams pretty well. And one of the things that I find really powerful about the dream space is the ways in which there's no sense of time and space. Hmm. You know, you could have like a second and it could feel like a year in that second. And there's moments in our waking world that that happens to us, you know, where it could be a small moment of time and it can feel like forever, or it could be a long moment of time. And it feels like, wasn't that just last year? So we were talking about the pandemic, 
you know, I think a lot of us are like, isn't it still 2019? <laughs> what right, do you right, mean yeah. 2023? <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I want, I want to explore that in, in these pieces. I wanted to try to at least like, what does that look like? What does that feel like to get the, get outside of these, these notions of, of time and space. And so I'm happy to hear that that resonated for you and you could see that in, in your engagement with the pieces. Um, I think some of our most powerful moments happen in just a second. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we, we spend a lifetime making meaning of that second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shami Ali, it's a fabulous record. People, please do check it out and i'll put links in the show notes so people can do that it's it's wonderful comes out in is it february yes february 3rd 2023 awesome so we should talk about your important records now one question i like to ask at this point is about how you thought about the term important when picking your list of three important records so we dipped into this a bit in the pre-chat but i wondered if you could tell me how you thought about the term important in order to come up with a list of three records that you did. Okay. So when I saw this question, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the question. <laughs> I, I just love it. I love this question. <laughs> and so for me, and I took it very seriously, Jack, I define important to me as an album that's traveled with me. Well, okay. I have two categories for the, for category, for the first two selections, I define important this way for the third selection. I had a different definition of importance. Is that playing by the rules still? Uh, your, your rules. It's uh, my rules. So yeah, that's how sure. I did it. That's how <laughs> I did it. So, so the way I define important for the first two picks is, um, I wanted it to be an album that has, been a part of my life like my entire life Mm. um where it just where and that i'm still engaging with actively actively like where there isn't you know i pretty much listen to those two albums almost every week of my life (laughs) like i listen to it a lot i and um and where i'm learning something new in it every listen so that was how i defined important for those two and i can maybe just like preface my definitions of importance with each of my picks but i'm so excited about this question jack and i'm, I'm ready to get into it um <laughs> as soon as you are <laughs> <laughs> let's do it so whatever record feels like the natural one to go with first um let's do it which one would do you want to talk about so immediately when i saw the question i said alice coltrane like point blank. And, you know, my definition of importance fits for this. Um, It was my dad had a friend and he had a daughter who taught me piano and she had amazing taste in music, (laughs) like so good. (laughs) And she would, she would put me on to all kinds of stuff. And one of the things she introduced me to was one of Alice Coltrane's records. Um, And it wasn't this one, actually, it was, um, journey to Sachidananda. Mm. Um, but that was, that was it. After that, I was like, Oh, and 
um, the album I picked was a monastic trio. I picked monastic trio as my most important because I really do come back to it all the time. I listen to this album a lot and I had to ask myself why, you know, when, yeah. when I, when I was engaging with your question. And, um, I think it's because, you know, this album was made one year, just one year after the passing of John Coltrane and many of the songs seemed devoted, dedicated to him in reverence of him. It's really raw to me. Hmm. It's so, uh, like it moves me so deeply in its rawness. It's the way that she, she's such a genius. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if I can even do justice to even talk about it. It's, um, but it brings me a lot of peace. I hope it brought her peace and in, in her creation of it. And I, it sounds like her intent was also to offer us peace, mm. um, and love, prayer, closeness to the divine, closeness to loved ones on the other side, honoring, you know, what, um, I lost my dad in 2006. And, and one of the things that I struggle with after I lost him was how do I ever honor him enough? Hmm. How do you honor someone enough that you love so much? And, you know, I hear that in this album, in the ways that she, just in each of the pieces, um, maybe I'm projecting, <laughs> <laughs> but even so, it's important to me because of that. That's what I receive when I experience it is mm. such reverence and brave and courageous engagement with grief and love. Yeah. This one is so interesting, I think, in how it to me seems to depict how we can perpetuate life in ways other than simply, you know, existing on this mortal plane like john is there in kind of a technical sense in recording like his voice features but you've also got the band who he played with like right up until the end really uh, alice being part of that too just kind of perpetuating that same energy uh, absolutely so sanders yeah you know and and everybody mourning you know it's not just her mm -hmm. on there it, you know, you can really feel everyone. And 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 like I said, I learn from it to this day, all these decades later, I still learn there's so much in it. And, and there, there's the other elements of just, you know, I can hear the exploration of all the musicians on there engaging with um, different forms, including some South, South Asian forms. So mm. it just feels close to me as well from that place as well so i'm guessing this is the one one of the ones that you still listen to like all the time since discovering it way back when so how has your relationship with it changed having had it in your life for that long like what have you felt develop in terms of your relationship to this record so when i first listened to it i didn't engage with it from the place i'm sharing with you because i hadn't lost my dad yet. Mm. 
I didn't understand a lot of that part of it. Um, I didn't even know I was like fully miss what I was missing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I knew, you know, I knew that it was, there's so many pieces in it dedicated to John Coltrane. Um, so I'm not saying that, but I just mean the grief part and all these other things I was sharing. Mm. Um, so it was a very different engagement in, in the beginning. Um, when I did lose him, it was almost like, you put on these new glasses and then you see, you see this work from with those glasses on wow. like, Oh, okay. It's almost like, okay, I will say this. It's not, even though it's like rec recorded in a finite period of time, it's very alive to me. Mm -hmm. And so each time, like any living thing, you're just going to experience it in a different way. I don't think any time I listen to it do I experience it the same way. I guess over that time as well, different tracks have maybe announced themselves differently or come to the fore. But I'm wondering, as you think of the record right now, what are the tracks that protrude in your mind as being particularly striking and connecting with you particularly strongly right now? So The Sun, mm -hmm. that one. Um, and you mentioned, you know, it begins with John Coltrane himself, almost like a prayer. He begins it, you know, mm -hmm. and it's it. you do feel like he's there. You feel him. And you you feel the everybody in it. Engagement with him. It brings me a lot of peace. I listen to that one a lot. I, um, and I think it is like a strong reminder to remember our loved ones are with us and we can continue to engage with them. And there's, there's mediums to engage with them, whether that's prayer, whether that's making music, whether that's writing poems, um, the dream space, the places that we can meet. Yeah, the presence of sleigh bells throughout this as well is like, so much of that in that uh, John Coltrane so it's almost like they're still ringing from those sessions as well mm. it's lovely mm -hmm. um, when you first connected with this record I'm intrigued as to like what your memories are of initially engaging with this like put me back there where are you like what kind of situations come to mind when you think about your initial exposure to this this album so i'm like a teenager probably like high school age ish i just remember laying on my floor like having my mind blown <laughs> 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 um music for me generally was just like a safe space to just go into okay so i'm a, i'm a little okay everything had a soundtrack <laughs> and anything <laughs> yes. i did i had a playlist even when it was like assignment so if i had to read like dostoevsky or whatever we're gonna have a playlist to listen to while i'm reading it and it would be curated like that it would make sense for whatever's happening oh, amazing. and um and it was just like this place of imagination a comforting place in a time you know 
I was a teenager in the late 80s, like Reagan. <laughs> right, right. You know, Reagan was president. Uh, there was a <laughs> lot of stressful things happening mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people. And I just felt a sense of belonging, you know, um, in, in listening to this album. And I think it's just because of the deep connection to the divine in it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you just really feel a connection to, to God and to everything that is alive. That's what I felt from it from the teenage brain, you know, I probably wouldn't have described it that way then, mm. you know, then it just felt like a really safe and beautiful space and magical and powerful, um, ho holding a lot of different emotions that maybe I couldn't make full sense of at the time. So that is where I was at. You mentioned as well, you, checked out like loads of her work after hearing maybe Jenny and Sachidananda first. Um, are there any other records that were kind of in the mix for this? Was it always going to be a monastic trio or if that one wasn't at your disposal, what do you think would have made it in here by Alice Coltrane? Um, well, Journey to Sachidananda, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's a masterpiece. I, I liked Universal Consciousness. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, you're doing hard things to me right now. Don't, <laughs> don't do this to me. I, I narrowed it down, Jack. <laughs> it's a cruel. I really, cruel really thing. struggled. I have to say, you know, I really, really struggled trying to, trying to decide. Um, but I would say, like, it was really this journey to Sachidananda and um world galaxy oh yeah God. yeah goodness me world galaxy was another one that i was struggling like which one do i pick but i picked a, mon a monastic trio because of all the things i shared like out of all of her albums i i do go back to this the most mm. and um i think it's because it helps me through my own um my own relationship with grief after losing my dad Shami Ali, uh, let's go to your second important album now. So which one do you want to go for next? Okay, so for the second one, Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan. Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan's live recording in London at St. Albert Hall. Recorded in June 1994. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I can tell you the reasoning. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is another artist who has just traveled with me through my entire life. Um, so si significant. I was introduced to Nusrat Patali Khan by my dad, who really loved Kowali. And, um, you know, this was another struggle 
point because I was like, do I pick the Sabri brothers? Do I pick Nusrat Fatali Khan? Because both of those artists were heavily, heavily on rotation at my parents' house. Huh, right. And and then I was like, okay, I'm going to pick Nusrat Fatali Khan. I'm going to tell you all the reasons. But I was like, oh my God, what album? Because literally <laughs> these t- these albums my dad had, they're like, we got them at the halal meat shop. It was like cassettes, like <laughs> volume 38. I'm like, what? You know, they were like live recordings from, from, we, I didn't even know where, you know, right. <laughs> but it was, it was the energy of the live recording. And um, we had tons of these tapes. I still have them. Wow. Um, I'm so happy that I do. Um, and, you know, this is, I was listening to this from a very young age. So not even teenager. It was just from, you know, a child so i picked this particular album because it has that energy it has that energy of these tapes <laughs> nice and i also picked this one because it's recorded in 94 and i had the immense blessing to see nosrat fatali khan with my dad that year, the year right before it, like 93. Whoa. And I saw him twice, Jack, that Whoa. year. Um, not with my dad twice, but the first show I saw with my dad. Um, eventually later, I did see the Sabri brothers, but it wasn't like this experience. And I feel like this particular album captures that. You feel the audience going bananas. <laughs> you can feel them. Yeah. <laughs> They're screaming their heads off. <laughs> The, there's like you can hear the some of the people in his party like rubbing their hands together before they're gonna hit the thumb <laughs> like you can hear microphone feedback wow. and it all none of that stuff matters because it's just it was happening in that room that night you know um in <laughs> how kawali should be experienced you know it's mm. where the audience is just as much engaged or participants it's a prayer it doesn't even matter. I think at some point in the album, he says in Urdu, you know, this this is for the folks that are just here and they can't understand, you know, what is being said, but are listening to the music. I want them to hear. And then mm. he goes into this like classical, <laughs> just, like he just, <laughs> he takes everybody there. But he was cognizant. He wanted to make sure everyone's feeling what he's doing and what he's expressing. Um, and you know, it's such a important part of Kowali, I think, you know, hmm. um, but also just why I picked him over the Sabri brothers. I picked him because of his desire to have everybody feel this, right. <laughs> even if you can't understand what he's saying. And um, I picked him because he, too, wanted to keep growing and taking risks even though he's like what he was already a legend in his in his own life right and Mm. um but yet he he was doing all these different collaborations with people he was like experimenting musically i love that i was struggling with which one i should pick i picked this i also wanted to pick his work must must which is where he did all of this sort of fusions and 
experimentations with other musicians where there's like folks like massive attack doing remixes with him wow. um, which i was really excited when that happened because it was right. this like um joining of two worlds that i loved you know i loved massive attack and then here's here's like my uh, musical home almost in my heart you know Nusrat wow. Khan, and they're they're meeting in one place and that felt amazing um but i didn't pick must must i picked this because I actually do go back to this often. It reminds me of my dad. I love what happens with poetry and music in what he does. I love how it makes me feel. And this is another album where you are connect, you know, where he serves as a conduit to help us connect to the divine, to help us to connect to life. Mm -hmm. There's so much life in his work. And and the beauty of his wordplay with the music is just blows my mind as well. <laughs> <laughs> I I and I listen to him consistently from a te teenager. You know, as a child, I wasn't exactly getting to pick what I what I was listening to. Right. But when I you know just on my own, like I would listen to him a lot, and when I got to see him live with my dad, it was one of the most incredible live shows I've ever seen in my life. Profound. Wow. I, I think it was my favorite live show of my life. It was just like, we weren't in that room anymore, all of us. And I'm so glad I got to do that with my dad. I It's a memory I cherish so much. And so a lot of this Royal Albert Hall recording reminds me of that feeling you know just that joy and i think this is where i see similarities between the a monastic trio and this with this you know it's this like elevation to this place like both albums elevate you to this beautiful place mm. while holding the sorrows of the world like both yeah. of those things are there together and you get to witness that, that sorrow or grief within you while also just being elevated to this place of just full of life and, and God and divinity. And so I felt like both of these albums like share that in common. Mm, yeah. Um, sure. And both of the artists also share that very sacred space for me. Um, I turn to them when I'm lost. Hmm. I turn to them in my joy. It's, you know, I don't know. We're so blessed. Like, wow. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and, and just like, how did I got to, I, I can't believe I got to see him live and experience that in person with my dad. That was just very special. That's so good. <laughs> what, what, I could what, go on, but I'm going to wrap that one up. <laughs> oh, well, I wanted to ask because it's really interesting you picked the Royal Albert Hall because I went there this summer to see a metal band and it's a crazy venue because it's quite a big space and it's got, you know, these sheer walls of seats, these almost what feel like vertical walls of seats in a kind of semicircle. So it does have this really pronounced structural crowd presence baked into the architecture, which is so 
interesting and to hear I assume I heard the same one that you did, but obviously mine was on a, a streaming platform and, and yours would have been on a cassette. So who knows whether or not it's the same recording, but the, you, yeah, the, 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 the sheer like fire coming out of the crowd and back onto the stage is so pronounced in what I heard. It's pretty amazing. So uh, what was the venue like when you saw him performing? Like, yeah, what kind of space was it? Okay. Um, I think we probably listened to the same one. It's the one that was recorded June 94. I tried to make sure I had the date for you because just in case I have just like God knows what tapes I have. Um, (laughs) But okay. So my venue was in DC. It was at the Kennedy Center. And for whatever reason, they did not have him in a main hall. (laughs) They had him in a small, (laughs) (laughs) it was like a small space. It wasn't big. We got to see him in a small space. Wow. And um, like you could you could just you could see him pretty close. And my dad and I weren't even in like one of the front row seats, but it was very intimate. And uh, it, it was filled with a lot of the South Asian community. Um, and I think he's very conscious of who's in the room when he's performing. Um, he saw he saw the space and he went in <laughs> and <laughs> um, people were losing their minds. They were, they were in all kinds of states. I got to just experience that engagement and my role in that engagement. And just, you know, um, some of, some of his work he shared in Urdu. Um, I remember that night, some things were in Punjabi, which I don't understand Punjabi. I understand Urdu. So I remember just like asking my dad, you know, what what is he saying? And to me, some of that experience was also just my dad kind of guiding me as well. Oh, wow. Um, and sharing like what was happening poetically. Mm. Um, and it, it, it was tears. It was like, you know, people were throwing dollars. There was tears. <laughs> wow. We were dancing. Um, and we're in this like tiny little space um, in like one of the smaller the smaller uh, theater spaces at the Kennedy Center. Um, I remember saving that ticket. I don't know where it is anymore. I was trying to look for it when when I was thinking about this question, oh, but shoot. I couldn't find it. Um, but I, for many years, just had it like pinned up on my on my wall, and it was like almost like this holy thing <laughs> that I got to do. <laughs> um, because for for kids like me at that time, you know, we'd hear these koali tapes, but it's not like we'd get to engage like. If I was there, you know, in in, yeah. in South Asia, um, in you know, in in Hyderabad, for example, um, I don't know what that's like. Um, so it was my first time really kind of having this multi-dimensional experience with my dad, who also just loved it. Loved it, you know. He loved poetry. He loved koali. And um, he introduced me to these things. You know, I'm a poet 100% because of my dad. And so part of honoring this album is honoring my dad. Um, And, you know, yes, so that venue was bananas. I've never (laughs) been in the Royal Albert Hall, but we definitely have a couple albums that are recorded there. I think I have a Lata Mageshkar. I'm not a big fan of hers, but I have a recording of of her in Royal Albert Hall and... um, 
it sounds like it's it's amazing in there and it must you know i'm sure you must have enjoyed your yourself in anyone you would see there mm -hmm. um but in this recording you can actually almost see the audience they're so palpable oh, yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and god knows what we missed that they didn't record <laughs> <laughs> Shami Ali, we've got one more important album. Uh, if you could give me the name of it and then, yeah, introduce me as to why it's an important record to you as well. Okay, so I separated what important means for this category only because I didn't discover it till maybe this January of this year. Oh, wow. And I wanted, I'll tell you, this number three slot was just the most difficult thing ever <laughs> yeah, um, yeah because i was like what because he, honestly i was gonna say prince i was gonna say prince hands down wow sign of the times or purple rain one of the two because if i was using the same you know what does important mean to me it would be him you know hmm. definitely has been in my life always listen to him i always go back i always listen to sign of the times i listen to purple rain all the time um, I know I'm cheating, Jack, but um, <laughs> this is I didn't pick Prince. I didn't pick Prince. Um, I didn't pick Sun Ra. I didn't do that either. Um, but I picked this artist because I wanted to pick someone that was important to me in this year. Um, I wanted I wanted to pick someone that was important to me in terms of me making my album. Um, mm. This person definitely made an impact on me as I was I was creating this album, and um, I was really excited about her work. And also, I told her I was gonna I told her I was gonna pick her and, and do this. And she's like, "What? What do you mean? You got to take me off this list?" <laughs> I said, "No, it's my list." Um, <laughs> and and I stand by it. I stand by it because. Something that's important to me in my listening practice is also just really uplifting and being cognizant of independent artists. And that was part of my listening practice, even from a young age. So in some ways, even though this wasn't created then, if it was, I'm sure I would want to <laughs> listen to it then. And I'm so glad it came into my life now. And that artist is VHVL and her album is titled Myrrh. And that is what I picked for category number three. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think Prince would approve of this. I think yeah, so. I think so. Um, yeah. And I picked this album. I, I met, I, I was introduced to VHVL. Um, I was a part of this sound practice cohort um, convened by Malik Abdul Rahman. Um, he's a producer. And in this cohort, he would have guest speakers come sometimes to just chat just about their process and she was one of the guest speakers and i was just really blown away by her process 
and just her approach. She's a um, electronic music music producer from Harlem, mm. and um, and I immediately like went into listening to her work, and this is why I picked her to be in this. I I and I feel like there's some common threads between the three albums. Um, I did you get a chance to listen to it by the way? Oh my god, yeah, twice through. Um, okay, cool, cool. So then, so, good. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. I feel is happening you know, in terms of my experience with it, um, is, you know, I feel like she's digging out life from a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm almost in these spaces where you're like, oh, there it is. There's life. And yeah. it resonated me like, you know, where it's like, she's like, puts a magnifying glass where life lives in the hardest places. Um, yeah. you know, and, and it's like you, you know, she, you feel this like outside of time and space energy, you know, like collages of texture and sound. It's really meditative. It's really intimate. And I feel like all three albums are intimate, even though here's Nusrat Fadl Ali Khan in the massive stadium, but yet it's intimate. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and same for Alice Coltrane, such intimacy. And I feel like VHVL, that's happening. Um, you feel so deeply. And I, I feel like this is the same for all three as well. It's it's just so unique, my response to what's what's happening with each of these albums. And so my impact of hearing this is just so unique to my own self because you're leaving time and space for a minute. It's sort of what I was saying earlier about connecting to life in places that feel the hardest. Um, understanding that actually those two things are connected. You can't separate them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. And then I just resonated with her as an artist. Like, she also learned piano as a kid and taught herself guitar. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think in, in some piece she said that, you know, what she likes about engaging with, with music is that she likes to know that she's alive. And I read somewhere else where she is said to be like inspired by Jungian psychology, um, theories of metacognition. Um, and I used to be really into like Jungian psychological analysis of poetry. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was happening. Um, but um, I, I think like I'm just interested in like what she was doing, you know, um, taking things like experience, memory, and finding life um, in that. At least that was my how I received it. Mm. And um, what, what happens when you're doing that, when you like take it out of time and space, is you really end up in the present moment when you're engaging with the music. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that happens with all three of these albums that I picked. They all bring you to a deep present moment and you can engage with it what you will um, and and each bring you into a place where a magnifying glass is like put towards where life is mm -hmm. and that definitely is something i care about a lot in my practice as an artist you know uplifting life uplifting um the divine nature our connection to land like those things are really important to me and um 
in the case of Alice Coltrane and Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan, they're like foundations to me. Um, if I had a chance to also bring in poets into this list, I would Good bring in <laughs> Sonia Sanchez, who also uses an economy of words to say everything. Um, or Lucille Clifton, who does the same, you know, an economy of words to say everything. And yeah, so it, it makes sense now, right, Jack? Like all of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you planned this beautifully. Um, you mentioned there that you're very interested in I think you said uplifting nature and the divine, which is a lovely, lovely phrase. So has that always been something that you fixated on? Is that something that's come into the picture over time? Yeah. When did that become something that you preoccupied yourself with? So because of the way I was introduced to poetry through my dad, and I would also even say music, because he really was the one too. like my first instrument ever was a flute. I must have been in the second grade and he took me to the music store and we were going to rent this flute. <laughs> and at this point, it's the 70s. OK, so <laughs> at some point in the late 70s, we go into this music store and everyone is crying their eyes out. And I think John um, John Lennon had just been shot. Wow. And they, they are just it's a state of grief in there. And I remember the guy gave us this massive discount on the flute rental because um, he was just like, everyone should know music or Whoa. something like that. <laughs> and, like, wow. I still have this flute. I actually play this flute on the track, hypothetically speaking, on on this Motike Shaher. I no still way. have that flute. And, and I thought of all of that when I when I played it. Am I a great flute player? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but enough to enough to make it happen for the song and enough to honor the feeling I was feeling about, you know, why I wanted to include it. And mm. um, anyways, I got really distracted from your question. Um, my dad introduced me to poetry and he introduced me to music. Um, and this is the way in which he did that was that it was a distilled form of life. It was never like, now I'm going to give you some books. Here's some poetry. He would just like drop lines of poems in whatever we were doing, you know, whether that's at the dinner table, dropping me to school. Um, if we were like working in the yard, you know, he would, he just knew when to drop a good line. <laughs> and, and it helped me see the world from that lens. You know, it helped me. I think that's why I see the world the way I do because a lot of the ways he did that would amplify life. He mm. would definitely pick poets that would amplify life. And as I'm sharing, like he had musicians around me that amplified connection to life, connection to the divine, reverence to nature, to land, to the mysteries of, of life that we don't have answers for, that literally we just have to pay attention to and listen. Mm. And so I would probably attribute that to my dad um, and and that sort of being the lens in which I approach my writing where that's so central. And, and it is a central part, whether it's poetry, music or both when they're engaging together. These things that no human can actually control some of these things as much as we would like to believe, you know? And 
there's something really beautiful to me in that, that there's some things that can't be taken away by a nation state, you know, or any life circumstance. It can't prevent you from your own engagement with some of these things. So, yeah, so it is a, a deep part of my creative practice. Um, thanks to my dad, thanks to his guidance. And you mentioned that, to sort of back to this VHBL record as well, that this artist was informative in your own sound practice too. So I'm wondering what that looked like with VHBL. What was it about maybe this record or her work generally that made you, that you fed into your music? Um, I felt very seen by her um, because something that I try to do in my own work is to transmute uh, difficult things into something, you know, beautiful or that uh, that offers resilience that where you, you do see somewhere where life is. Um, oh, there it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then then amplify that. So that part, but also she is just so wonderful. Um, I remember in this cohort, she was just like, feel free to ask me any questions. Here's my number. Oh, wow. (laughs) And people always say that, but, you know, she actually called me and (laughs) and we talked for a while and I was telling her what I was doing. and, And she said to me, just like see what's around you in your, you know, where you're recording, just see what's around you and just bring it into the piece. I just love that. And yeah. um, so I, I followed her advice, I, I think, on one, you know, a couple of the tracks. But one that directly comes to mind is Goddesses and Doormats. I think I use like I was eating pistachios and I had a bunch of shells in a bowl and I used pistachio shells in that song. Um, I had taken off my earrings and used my earrings as percussion. Oh, cool. Um, I I you know, explored my own love of, you know, I I really love doing sort of digital collage and just general collage. And um, I love the idea of like collaging sound and what are these like multidimensional spaces we can create in, in collaging sound that way. Mm. Um, Anyway, she was a direct influence on connecting what is in my direct environment into what I'm creating. And I think there's something personally sacred to that in honoring the spot you're in and honoring the environment you're in and honoring like what role you're placing in that spot. Mm. Um, And then it also, um, when you're working like with electronic music, it brings in some warmth of your own human life force by bringing in what's like in your direct environment. So I love that I had these pistachio shells that I actually ate those pistachios (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, and then I have these shells that I like worked with from my, myself. And I love, you know, the sound of it. Um, it now, would anyone notice it? directly probably not you know but i know it's there <laughs> too, and, or maybe like unconsciously but it made me really excited to like keep hearing her work and what ways did she do that yeah. and what was in her environment and what was going on for her 
and how many different layers and there are so many layers i would love to hear what you thought about it i want to bring up the plate smashing on this record on mer because i think that when you talk about using your immediate environment i don't know whether that's an example of that i guess only really veronica could 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 answer that but it felt like a um such a sabotage of expectation it felt mm -hmm. very very immediate like just kind of a shortcut that didn't involve rationalizing it just literally got thrown in there and smashed in there and it <laughs> sounds so lovely like it's such a it's it really spins the energy of that piece on its head and then there's another track later where it's almost like it sounds like the smashing reversed and it generates this kind of like strange upward waterfall it's well cool i mean there were loads of little as someone who you know you you've you've heard this record obviously umpteen times more than i have but definitely seems like one of those records where you just get a bit of it caught on your attention after you listen every time and it's in a different trinket each time that you're coming away with so yeah, I not heard this one at all, and I'm gonna spend loads more time with it now because it's so good. <laughs> to yeah. me, it's so good. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And and then you also hear all these like nature sounds. You mm. hear water. I don't know how she does that vacuum sound where you just feel like you're oh my god in space or something, you know? <laughs> and um, it's like okay. So another thing I used to do. <laughs> Maybe I'm telling the world too much, but I had these like walkie talkies and it had like Morse code on the walkie talkie. And so you could either use the walkie talkie to like speak or you could just like beep the Morse code. You know, I'd, I would pull the little antenna up and then I'd be sending messages like definitely the extraterrestrials can hear me or like whoever needs to hear me in the unseen world, like they're going to hear what I'm trying to say. And, you know, that's the energy I kind of <laughs> felt. <laughs> like, there's messages in here, and it's for the people that are ready to hear and receive. Um, and I love that. I love that. And um, I, it's definitely something I played with um, even before I had the blessing to be introduced to VHVL's work um, is, like, I love putting out just these messages to our ancestors like who's to say like we like who's to say they can't hear our our work right right <laughs> and for sure. and um so there's like lots of reverence and love um i i think this circles back to your your original one of your original questions to me about like you know why music why now like this is the beauty of music to me like you can do some of that there I think you can do mm. that in poetry in other ways, you know, but there's something about music that felt very exciting to me to have sort of these, all these different languages happening at once and these different engagements with a very expansive definition of what listener could mean.
Shami Ali, I have one more question for you, and it relates to how you tend to engage with music day to day, I guess. I mean, what I like is that in this conversation, we've encompassed different formats. You've got the tapes that you've brought from home and obviously <laughs> stuff that you've discovered <laughs> guessing through the old internet. So what does listening to music look like for you day to day? Where do you tend to buy music? Like, yeah, uh, give me a little insight into that that world of, of, of listening to and buying music just in your life. So when I was younger, I would like just loiter at, at record stores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes, the, and I was like young, you know, so they would be like, oh, you want some extra posters? And I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and I barely could afford, you know, a lot of the, the records in there, but I used to just love like going through and then, you know, back then too, like libraries had like massive records that you could just check out. Um, and I used to love doing that in the, in the digital age. I mean, I guess like I buy a lot of my music from Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. um, here in Philadelphia, I'll go to Brewery Town Beats. And then there's another record store in West Philly. I'll go there sometimes. And in terms of just what, where do I listen I will listen to tapes sometimes, Jack, but I, I sometimes <laughs> also listen to CDs. Yes. <laughs> um, but I also listen to records a lot. Um, that I didn't have a, I didn't, you know, I grew up having a record player. We were so blessed, you know, and my dad had records. So I still have some of his records, but there was a period of time I just didn't have a turntable and I ended up having a turntable again around 20 i don't know 2017 um so i'll listen to records on that but but the dominant place that i'm listening is probably like just from online um mm -hmm. and there all the cds and all that stuff is all in electronic form so i just have my digital library of stuff and yeah. then also, I guess, like Bandcamp and streaming sites. That's where I listen. Wicked. Nice. Well, Shami Ali, thank you so much for firstly talking about your new record. Again, I will prompt people to go and listen to it. It's wonderful. And also your three important records and the various other artists you managed to Trojan horse into the discussion as well, <laughs> very skillfully. Kudos. <laughs> Um, it's been huge, huge pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. And thank you so much for all that you're doing. I, I really enjoy your podcast and I really enjoyed this question. And it's been a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Magic. And to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>